0: This is Secure, hosted by Charles Latimer and presented by FinFit, a podcast empowering business leaders to build a financially stable and resilient workforce. It is my absolute pleasure to be having a conversation today with Lisa Kahn. She is the co-founder and CEO of Gather Round. Extraordinary history with MIT Media's Lab and Facebook. It's my pleasure to welcome you, Lisa. Please, would you mind giving a little bit of introduction to yourself? We, we've had some amazing conversation in the past. We met at the HR Transform Conference, but I'd really love to hear the buildup of your story uh, right up into the moment you founded Gather Round because I, I think that will really paint a really powerful picture.
1: That sounds great. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to get to see you again, to chat with you. And hopefully this conversation will be interesting for other people. Uh, At the very least, we're going to have a good time. Um, So I started my career in politics. My grandmother was a community organizer. Um, I think the term that she probably would have used was activist. She was a Jewish woman living in the South in the 1950s and 60s, and she saw social injustice all around her and decided to organize her community to make change. The sort of initial event for her was um, my father would go to a swimming pool near his elementary school and it was segregated. Um, and she wanted to desegregate it. And so she did the sort of traditional tactics of community organizing. She knocked on doors, she engaged people, um, and eventually it sort of paved the way for integration in her community. Um, And eventually, of course, here we are. And so growing up, she would sort of talk to me about what people can do in community, which is one of the things we're gonna talk about today when they come together with a shared goal, a shared objective, a shared strategy, and a lot of connection and belonging. Uh, And as I'm describing this, I'll skip ahead for one moment, which is what I just described also are the conditions of a fantastic team and a fantastic company, but we'll get to that. Um, So I studied social movements in college, um, which was mostly in the context of the US, and uh, started working in political organizing when I graduated. So I worked on the Obama campaigns Um, in 2012. I was in Florida. I then worked on immigration reform. And again, this sort of pattern was organizing people, bringing them together, training them, coaching them, helping form kind of horizontal connections between them, building community, but towards a very ambitious goal, which in the context of a political election was winning an election, and then the context of working on immigration reform was passing legislation. Um, When I was working on immigration reform, one of the things that I would do when I'd sort of fly around the country and I would train Americans on how elected officials thought, what what were sort of their preferred ways of receiving information. And uh, at the time, and I think it's probably still this way, it was these really outdated ways of communicating. It was all about faxes and letters in the mail and good old fashioned phone calls. Um, And at this time and still today, the way that most people were actually communicating with each other was not through faxes or letters in the mail or phone calls, it was through texting, it was through social media. And so I joined the MIT Media Lab, as you mentioned, in 2015 with the goal of working on a project um, that would sort of uh, organize and make sense of data around the 2016 presidential election. So our, our lab was funded by Twitter, and we had access to the full Twitter firehose. And the objective was to kind of organize and make sense of the issues that the public cared about as expressed in their own voice on Twitter, which I thought was a much more reasonable way of making sense of information, um, and helping, hoping that would then kind of inform the presidential election cycle. And when we first got into the analysis, And again, we're just looking at issues, like what what are people talking about? What do they want? What issues are coming up? The data was a mess. It really wasn't making a lot of sense. Um, And then we sort of had this idea to also classify by uh, political ideology, which in the context of Twitter is sort of who you follow, which candidates you support. And once we did that, we found that the issues that people on the right were talking about and tweeting about had a pattern to them and they were consistent. The issues that people on the left were talking about and tweeting about also had a pattern, but they were totally different things, different events, different language, different realities, and so began... Uh, in 2015, kind of one of the first, I think we were the first large-scale data exploration of ideological polarization um, in the context of the 2016 presidential election. Um, And so I became sort of less interested in any one side at that point and less interested in electing people or advocating for policies and much more interested in healing this fundamental fracturing that I saw happening that technology, unfortunately, was exacerbating. And so I joined um, Facebook, as you mentioned, to help sort of contribute to their work to reduce polarization and extremism. It was an incredible experience. Um, The things that I learned the most there were from the fields of peace building. So I got to work with a lot of kind of in-person peace-building organizations who brought communities that were in conflict together um, and facilitated dialogue and discourse, often through storytelling, to help bridge the gap, bridge the divide between two sides. I also got to work with former extremists who themselves had joined and left extremist communities and sort of unpacked the factors that contributed to that. And all of this led me to want to build a new technology focused on scaling meaningful and powerful conversation, using the tactics of the peace building world, using the tactics of these amazing in-person facilitators, bringing it online. And that is when in 2018, we started GatherRound and I'll stop there.
0: Wow. I I've almost never heard a story That was so interconnected with the zeitgeist of the time over, let's say, a decade period, where I mean, how you sort of transformed and and sort of led your professional life across that is just phenomenal. This is really fascinating. This is going to be like a twelve-hour podcast.
1: I know. What are we going to do? It's also it's very intentional, and my sort of advice to young people. You know, I graduated college right around the time the economy crashed. And there just weren't safe options anymore. The sort of idea of going to law school or working in finance, like those things weren't safe anymore. And so I inter- different people interpreted that time differently. But I sort of interpreted that as I need to find a way to combine the things that I'm uniquely good at with what the world really needs. Because if I can't have stability in our economy, then I can at least make impact in the world. And so I've always sort of had this very intentional lens of what does the world need right now? And that changes because the world changes.
0: Right, right. I, I'm, I'm curious how you connect the beginning dot to the end dot of, of, of the narrative that you just unpacked for us, which is the sort of uh, community advocacy of, of your grandmother mm-hmm. and that sort of the, the intimacy that is involved with that, that sort of, I want to call it just sort of door-to-door, really face-to-face being, you know, having your finger like on the immediate Human yeah. pulse all the way through to like the huge scale that you're talking about in terms of Twitter and facebook and and trying to take those very very large communities at scale. It seems like there's a through line there of of wanting of advocacy but just at, at a completely different scale- how, how do you sort of reconcile that or or w- w- how does that sort of early impressions of your grandmother inform the work that you did? I, I either with Twitter or for, or for Facebook,
1: yeah. Um, it's a great question. I think that the through line is humans, and humans are at our core social creatures. We are not intended to be alone. Um, and if you sort of look throughout history, humans have organized themselves into groups forever. That's how we've survived, that's how we've. Sort of created a sense of self. That's how we've existed for for as long as humanity has been around, um, and so with that, you know, people have this real hunger, this real desire to feel like they belong and to be in a group. Now, if you sort of layer that fact, that reality, with the last. 70 years or so of research on community, what we see is that there's been this massive decline in community since around the time my grandmother was organizing. We Mm -hmm. used to have um, community groups and sort of local organizations that people were part of, and those are now Sort of not part of people's lives anymore. And there's a great book. It was it came out I think in the 90s by a professor named Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. Um, And it's a bit of an older text now, but it really talks about this. It talks about the decline of community. Now, what's really interesting is that the one member, the one sort of community category that hasn't declined is actually people's membership to political communities, Um, and that's pretty problematic because of the sort of zero sum nature of our political system in the US. um, And because of sort of the reality of humans often define themselves in a group in opposition to some other group. Um, And so all of this is just to sort of say that the through line between a very, very local community organizing door knocking strategy, and being a member of a Facebook group that has 200,000 members, for example, different sizes, different scale, Um, obviously very different sort of vehicles, one is online and, and one is in person. Um, are just sort of two different attempts for humans to have their core need met, which is to belong and to be a part of groups. And so I view the world has changed and technology has changed and the types of communities that exist for people have changed. But what has remained the same is the kind of very core human desire to be a part of a group, to feel like they belong, for their identity to be attached to some other entity that has meaning.
0: If If that's somehow unraveled over time and then we sort of, had this sort of political dimensions that sort of exacerbated at, at yeah. some point. Are, are we reconstituting a sense of community that you see in a material way? Uh, it, yeah. it, it, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm, but I'm curious if you're seeing that trend right now.
1: So just a few weeks ago, the U.S. Surgeon General uh, just issued a report that talked about how over 50% of Americans are experiencing loneliness and that that loneliness is terrible for our health. And there's all sorts of terrifying statistics. Now the piece about in that sort of advisory that I thought was really interesting was there was a little bit of mention of work, the workplace. Um, And the potential risk that remote workplaces, for example, can contribute to this loneliness. And there was a little bit of sort of suggestion that perhaps, you know, increasing social connectedness in the workplace might be a promising solution to these uh, terrible levels of loneliness. And that's actually what I have been focusing on today and what Gatheround is really all about. We're all about helping organizations that are choosing to offer remote and flexible work, which has its own incredible benefits for work-life balance, for uh, inclusion, for diversity, for working parents like myself, um, but has this potential risk, which is that the sort of social fabric of an organization, of a company, might unravel without a lot of intention. Gatheround is really focused on solving that problem. Um, And the reason that I'm so passionate about it is, you know, not only because I think it's so pressing in this moment, but when you actually look at research of where adults spend most of their time and who adults interact with most, it's primarily people that they work with. And so what a missed opportunity to not form social ties, whether they're strong or weak, both are healthy and good for us as human beings in the workplace. It's like an incredible opportunity to help solve this loneliness problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, the strongest predictor of of uh, a sense of well-being or a sense of flourishing, is connected to one's relationship to their work, their sense of purpose, and and I I had a recent conversation where you know uh, one of the top researchers in this field you know he said well of course you know it's you know where we spend a third of our time you know so and it makes sense I mean it, so it does make sense so I you know once again your your timing is impeccable so now it's 2018 right mm-hmm. and and you're starting gather around, I'm sure that you, where you started it, I'm sure there was an impulse for that. And and you sort of seeing this reformation of of the workplace, but boy, then the pandemic hits. I mean, you could almost not have scripted that better or worse And, and and I'd be curious to hear that tale of two cities.
1: Yeah. You know, so we started the company at the end of 2018, and the company was a product idea. You know, in general, if you take any class on entrepreneurship, they tell you, find a business problem and then build a solution to that business problem. We did not do that. We built a product first. Um, We had this hunch that there was a need for sort of better group conversations than were currently available at the time. And uh, uh, so in 2019 was when we focused on a number of different kinds of communities, including the workplace. And it's so funny looking back at, we did a fundraise in 2019 and I recently looked back at our our deck, our kind of fundraising deck, and it had all these stats about remote work, remote work was growing, whatever it was, five times faster than other forms of work. And investors were like, I don't buy it, like, I don't know, you know, some some bought in, but a lot were very skeptical that remote work was even going to happen. And in January of 2020, we started a pilot program for remote and distributed teams. And so the first three months of 2020, for us, were all about really digging into what teams needed that weren't all in person to feel connected to each other, to the work, et cetera. And then, as you mentioned, obviously, March of 2020, the entire world changed. Um, Everyone was sent home for two weeks, which is not what ended up happening, as we know. Um, And the need for connection completely exploded. And that need wasn't just at work. It was... People were trying to plan bridal showers and they couldn't be in person together. People were trying to plan bachelorette parties. People were, um, you know, Set home from school and needing to have more engagement at school. And so 2020 was a fascinating year for us as a company. Obviously, it was a devastating year for us as humans. But for us as a company, it was really fascinating because um, we decided to make the product free for almost the entire year as sort of a gift to the world that people needed connection. And we happened to have built this amazing platform that helped people have conversation and connect. And then we just observed who was using it and what the categories were. And it was everything you might imagine. Uh, universities. There were even um, elementary schools that were that were using us in the classroom yeah. to teach social and emotional learning to sure. kids. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of sort of social things. But by the end of the year, we found that despite our marketing being very agnostic to the who at this time and really being focused on connection, the majority of the people using us were. Managers and leaders, and kind of HR professionals who were bringing folks together in the workplace, which is pretty interesting, and that's become kind of our sole focus—not sole, so but our primary focus um, since then.
0: Well, it's an—you continue to the through line, right? I I was—you—you led us right to the place where I was going to ask you, which is now all of a sudden you have this the the HR function, which is the advocate, the primary advocate for a workforce, and and so now you're interconnected there and building workforce communities uh, through the advocacy of HR and the HR function. Mm -hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about that and and how has that changed over the past few years?
1: Yeah, it's changed a lot in some ways that I think are wonderful and in some ways that I think are a little bit sad. So in 2020, 2021, I would say that the sort of four main challenges that people leaders were facing and the four main areas of interest were one, broad scale connection. Um, people weren't in offices, people weren't together. And there was just a desire to connect people and an understanding that that was intrinsically important. That was sort of the first main challenge. The second was around diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly in the US, June 2020 and sort of the months that followed raised awareness of the many inequities in our workplace and in our world. And companies were really taking the Requirement to do something about it very, very seriously. So that was sort of the second big challenge that we were hearing a lot. The third was around wellness and well being, um, a recognition that whether it was physical well being and wellness, Emotional well-being and wellness, financial well-being and wellness, and you, know, you might have a partner who was laid off, for example, um, that the stakes were really high and employees more than ever were turning to their workplaces to sort of help solve the problem. And so there was a real kind of desire and interest in doing that. And then the fourth big challenge that we were hearing a lot was around supporting managers and leaders, managers. Uh, We're tasked with figuring out this thing called remote leadership without much training or support or Um, know-how. Those are the four things that we were hearing mostly in sort of 2020, 2021. And we built a number of solutions, product solutions, program solutions, training solutions to address those four challenges. Now today, particularly in tech, media, financial services, the market has changed. The market has shifted and there's sort of less unfortunately, of an interest in sort of what's good for employees, and more of an interest in what's good for the company. Now, of course, these things overlap, there's a ton of overlap there. Um, But the lens, the framework now is around profits, productivity, um, kind of increasing output. Um, And even in just the way that we talk to customers, we've moved from talking about slightly more kind of warm and fuzzy, which was really people were responding to. And now it's just sort of hard data around, you know, companies lose an average of $25,000 per employee per year on bad meetings. Um, you know, and we're sort of solving, solving those problems.
0: That's so. That brings me to a question I've been willing to ask you all week.
1: Okay, great. Which is,
0: <laughs> Sam Altman comes out, you know, The the CEO of OpenAI and says, "Hey, listen, the uh, you know working remote it's a failed experiment," and and that shocked me. And and I and so one, I I like for I'd like to get your feedback on that. But then two, I I my immediate response was, "Is it a failed experiment, or or is are the primary tools that we're looking at are sort of Zoom and Teams, or, or are they failed?" technology platforms in terms of being able to build communities that support uh, sort of both mental and emotional uh, wellness and, and a sense of belonging. And I'm curious to hear your feedback on that.
1: We have had a generation's worth of massive workplace changes compressed into three years. First, I will say the experiment is not over. We've not had enough time or enough data to have any conclusions. That's the first thing I'll say. Second thing that I'll say is any CEO who thinks that and who requires employees to come back to an office full-time is going to lose a lot of employees. Um, There is a lot of data on people, especially underrepresented segments of the workforce, that require Remote work and flexible work as an option in order for them to stay in their in their roles and in their jobs. And so, any CEO who believes that and who's kind of forcing people to come back is going to really suffer because people are going to vote with their CVs um, and 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 go elsewhere. And the third, to your point, is I think you're exactly right um, that the failure. But I wouldn't even call it a failure. I think the open opportunity is, is in, is in technology. You know, I look at the sort of meeting, the unit of the meeting, which is frankly, where you have the greatest chance of socializing at work is in a meeting. And yes, your meeting is probably about something in the flow of work, but it's the time where you see a person, they see you, there's something called the mirror exposure effect, which talks about, we like our colleagues more when we see their faces. So there's a sort of unit of a meeting where you have this great opportunity to connect with people. Um, and uh, gather around aside the solutions that we have available to us are just totally vanilla you know essentially what we have with zoom meets teams are video are, are sort of phone calls with video there's no structure there's no engagement it's just sort of this exhausting simple experiment you know my take is that most Of those types of meetings really could be emails or Slack, kind of asynchronous written interactions. And there's really only two kinds of meetings that matter. There are quick huddles, quick sort of side chats, like, hey, this is just going to be easier to talk through verbally. That's a certain kind of very lightweight meeting. And then there's meetings that matter that require structure and intentionality, an all hands, an ideation session, a kickoff a retrospective, an onboarding session for a new employee, a workshop about diversity, a workshop about sort of leadership, and that everything in between doesn't necessarily need to be a synchronous live face-to-face conversation. And that sort of the answer to this problem of connection actually lies in infusing social opportunities into the meetings that matter.
0: So th- that that's really... So it seems like there're two sorts of major uh sort of pieces that are working here. One is the sort of uh video as a you know the tools like Teams and and Zoom as a as a productivity tool. But what what I what I'm very interested in in the work that you've done and continue to do and and, and gather around us is building a sense of community in the workplace, which is sort of different than a productivity tool, I, I think that they c- can complement each other. I'm sure, but uh, because I, I think at the end of the day, having a sense of community, I'm sure there's a material reduction in things like uh, mental health uh, stress in the workplace. And, and, you know, so I, I'm just curious if if you could help unpack that.
1: Yeah, um, it's an interesting. Comment that you made that they're different things. And I think that they are, but there's also a lot of opportunity for overlap. Um, you know, for so, sure.
0: Yeah, for right?
1: sure. So um, I sort of think about this. There's a great company called Culture Amp, and they sort of coined this concept of the moments that matter. Um, that through the life cycle of the employee experience, there are these key moments that kind of create people's moments for engagement, retention, et cetera. And there are the moments that you would probably think of things like your first conversation with the recruiter or the interview committee, um, your onboarding session. I mean, onboarding is so essential to any membership, to any community, but particularly to kind of your entry into the, to a company, the way that you're welcomed into a new organization has a massive impact on how long you'll stay and how successful you'll be. So the way that we welcome new hires is just, essential. That's a key moment in the life cycle of the employee experience. Then there are these sort of um, developmental moments, performance reviews. The first time the manager gives you tough feedback or feedback that really helps you grow. That's a moment that matters right? and has to be done well. And then we have sort of the engagement moments in the employee experience. That might be something simple like your work anniversary, whether it's acknowledged or not, might have an impact on how welcomed you feel and how supported you feel and how valued you feel, which might have an impact um, on your desire to stay and do great work. But there's also these other moments for community, like employee resource groups that exist along the lines of identity or Heritage Month and the way that your company does or doesn't celebrate Black History Month, Women's History Month, um, Thanksgiving, and sort of a variety of other kind of key milestones in the external calendar. Um, And there's a number of areas there. Uh, and then also in sort of the development category, there's the way that you're on, you're, there's the way that you're trained and the way that you're developed. There's also lots of research that people leave jobs they don't feel like they're growing and developing. So there's a great opportunity to develop. Now, what I find really interesting is how do we incorporate these moments for building community into the flow of work? And I think that's important because people are busy and time is limited. But it's also important in this moment where, unfortunately, I think a lot of CEOs are overcorrecting and really focusing on profits, productivity, things that are immediately kind of going to drive business outcomes. Um, So a couple of examples of ways in which you can combine these things. So we have a program that we offer to our customers called Managers Monthly, and it's primarily a training program for managers, but it also forms a community. But in this case, a community of practice among managers at a company, where they come together once a month for a year, and they learn and discuss topics related to remote and hybrid management, things like managing underperformers, giving feedback, DE&I, well-being as a manager, um, which is a topic that I think is often really under, under-discussed. So that's sort of one example of a place where you can infuse community building into a company objective, which is around um, you know, developing your employees, and another is actually all hands. You know, Companies do all hands once a month. Departments you know, might do it at more frequency. Often all hands are these boring, stale webinars where you just watch a bunch of boring presentations and people tune out and multitask. But what if we could infuse moments of connection and conversation to all hands meetings and have those also be these sort of great moments for community building and interaction?
0: I, I think you bring up so many great points there. I want to latch onto a couple. One is, I, I do believe that the wellness industry writ large has uh, an opportunity to yeah. tell a a more um, sort of grounded outcomes-based approach yeah. to wellness that's data-driven and, and that is targeted to both the investment community and to the C-suite. And, and it's it something that it's a major gap there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then also, you know, and, and you see that too, because it's not a part of the, the overall, um, one the even the KPIs of, of managers or what, what, you know, how they're compensated or motivated that very little of that is against the backdrop of, of having a, a workforce that is, is well and is flourishing. And, yeah. and so, how, how do you see these new tools that are that are coming up as being able to support uh and enhance a an entire workforce's ability to sort of come together not only just with a backdrop of of wellness but it's sort of supporting not only those activities and sort of a communication of programs but actually sort of you know elevates that to a completely different level that today maybe we just don't even can't, can't even imagine. Can you help us imagine that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Gather Round, I think, is the place where, you, where where that really comes together. At least that's what we're, what we're trying to do here. Um, we've built uh, a video platform, and it has sort of the classic video conferencing uh, functionality where you can see each other and, and speak. Um, but we also have all sorts of other sort of activities you can do in the context of your, of your gathering or your, or your meeting. You can run a poll. Um, you can have a little quiz. You can take a photo through this really fun feature called Photo Booth. But then the real magic happens in the ways we get people talking. So we have a handful of uh, features that allow for this. So we have these really thoughtful kind of world-class breakouts um, where you break out into a one-on-one or a small group conversation with a set of prompt cards that guide your conversation. And when I, I say that, people think, oh, sort of cheesy icebreaker questions. But what you can actually do with that modality is design a conversation. And that conversation might be about a learning topic, or it might be about... Um, you know, something that kind of helps you deeply f- understand yourself or, or your colleagues. And then we have a feature also called group share, which is designed to teach people how to have equitable and inclusive conversations. The way that it works is a question is posed to the group. That question might be, what are your key takeaways from today's conversation? And every person, no matter who you are, if you're the CFO or the intern, you get equal time to speak. And let's say it's 45 seconds. It depends on kind of what the topic is. Um, You say you want to join and answer the question. A line forms, and we actually prioritize people who haven't spoken before. So people who don't often speak are at the front of the line, people who talk all the time, like myself, back of the line. And then each person comes up. Yep. Each person comes up one by one with equal time to speak. When the time is up, it fades to black. And that's it. Um, And so, you know, we've designed this totally new video experience that is really, really, really interactive and engaged. It has all these different ways for people to engage besides just sort of the blank uh, video, audio only. It's really seamless and intuitive and really scalable, which was one of my objectives in starting the company because you sort of pre-design these conversations and then all you have to do in the moment to run them is hit a series of play buttons. Um, And really importantly, we have this library. So there's the video platform and then we also have this library with hundreds at this point of innovative uh, meeting agendas. So if you want to have a conversation that's debriefing a difficult thing that happened at work and you don't know where to begin, you've got a couple options. Maybe you wing it and risk harming someone, or um, maybe you just risk having the conversation go as well as it could go. Or you can go to Gather On and see this agenda that's been fully built out, written by an expert, often written by one of our partner customers, customize that a little bit and sort of run that on our innovative meeting platform. Um, and so the sort of idea of how do you build community, but in the flow of work and do it in a way that the C-suite, especially CFOs these days or the new CEO, as everyone's been saying um, find valuable and and we think we're really onto it.
0: I I, I love how you unpack that. I, I'm i curious, i just going to kind of even extend it out. Let's what does this look like five years from now? Cause I, I know that there's, there are obviously ways of of doing uh, sort of sentiment analysis or sort of measuring someone's temperature uh, through through language processing and and all of that. Are are you all looking at those kinds of tools and approaches to begin begin to sort of help? I don't I don't want to say amplify the 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 sort of a, a, emotional connection inside of video experience or where, where do you see that leading because. But and ultimately, the reason I'm asking is because I believe that human connection and, and workplace culture are the core part of the scaffolding where where wellness lives for for most of us. And and, and until we sort of help close the gap there, we're, we're not not that we're going to be in trouble, you know. But but I think there's such a huge opportunity. And, and so, what what sort of kind of niche areas do you see? Whether whether it's in, in these sort of you know, real time sort of sentiment analysis or emotional analysis, or I, I, how, how do you look at that?
1: We haven't thought about sort of sentiment analysis, and then bringing that back to improve the product. But I really like that idea. Um, the sort of areas that we've been thinking about, and the third is what is sort of what you're touching on, I think. The first is around continuing to build out sort of these activity types. So we refer to the things that I described, the poll, the one-on-one, the group share, as sort of the building blocks of conversations. Conversations actually have these sort of component parts. And we wanna kind of continue to build those out so that you can design any conversation, any meeting that you wanna design and have it really meaningful the first kind of area that we're thinking a lot about. And there's a lot of really cool ways to kind of incorporate AI and generating content um, in that that bucket. The second is around this library of these event agendas, these meeting agendas that I was describing. I really want to open source it. I kind of want to enable anyone who has an amazing structure for a difficult conversation to be able to publish that on GatAround's library. You can sort of think about maybe the app store for conversations where for 99 cents, we could purchase Charles' conversation about well being, for example, and then, you know, it helps you scale yourself and your ideas. And you can imagine it also could be sort of a a revenue stream for you. But the third, which is sort of on the data side is a newer area that I've been thinking about. um, And I sort of caught, I've been thinking about it, maybe incorrectly, but from the lens of justification in this kind of tough market where you need to really justify Spend like how do we provide insights and analytics that are really useful to a company without being big brothery or kind of inappropriate? That can help companies better, um, uh, you know, manage their people and the 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 ideas that we have there. And we're partnering with with our customers right now to really flesh this out. But the ideas that we have there are a lot of companies. Funnily, thanks to Sam Altman's brother, Jack Altman, um, a lot of companies now believe and understand we have to do employee engagement surveys, right? You have to do an employee engagement survey once a year, twice a year. It's just sort of an expectation now of of leadership. Um, But a lot can happen in between those annual or biannual surveys. It reminds me a lot of our physical health. You maybe go to the doctor once a year and get your blood work, um, but in between those doctor's appointments, you have maybe your Apple Watch, and it gives you these little kind of indicators of health that are more kind of day-to-day indicators of health. So imagine if Gather could provide those indicators of company health in between the big employee engagement surveys. For instance, if someone is always participating in group share, that might suggest that they're incredibly engaged. And maybe they're a culture keeper of your company that you didn't even know was doing that extra work. And perhaps knowing that would make you operate differently. Perhaps that person um, could help you with recruiting events or could be part of the hiring committee, focus on the culture interview, or perhaps you should actually bake that work that person is doing into their job description and give them the resources and the tools they need to do it well and recognize them. And at the very least, if you unfortunately have to do layoffs, knowing that that person is a culture keeper you might not want to lay them off because that could have a huge negative impact on your culture and then of course you can imagine sort of the flip side of that which is someone who's maybe struggling and is not as engaged knowing that and being able to offer some support reach out um and prevent them from you know from from churning, for example i I can imagine us being helpful in those ways
0: i I love how you think about this because what, what I see is this this not only now we have this backdrop of technology that's just sort of sits there statically but you're really unpacking where maybe three four or five years from now we, we we can imagine a scenario where where not only as as a community we're coming together and having a deeper sense of, of one another but we also as as an organization as an hr function as leaders of companies that there's an opportunity to help Shape company culture. Have company culture support everyone where they are in 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 different growth cycles, and 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 I think it's enormous opportunities there. From from our perspective, you know, my my research perspective, looking at financial stability or financial material precarity, it's so interconnected with all of these other pieces. Mm. You, You know, because if if somebody is feeling emotionally detached or lonely, as we were talking about earlier, they're, they're having a mental health challenge or crisis. All of that's impacting their financial and material sense of stability. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking through not only the technology that we're seeing today, but really kind of opening the lens of what I think is an opportunity for leaders to build a completely different culture around wellness and well-being and redefining the interconnectedness of who we are as human beings, our ability to associate, as you said earlier, with groups in a meaningful way. And so I, I'd love for you to just maybe, as we're sort of, you know, wrapping up our time here, I'd just like to open this up to you and say, you know, what what else would you like to, you know, offer the conversation today? I hope you'll come back and and continue the conversation. You have so much to contribute, but I'd really love to, you know, hear, hear kind of where where you see all of this going, and and any any further insights you
1: have. Well, thank you. This has been a really really fun conversation, and I hope that we can sort of continue to brainstorm and come up with new ideas of things that we can continue to to do and evolve in the in the world. And I I think there is so much overlap between the work that you're doing around flourishing. I love the word flourishing so different than thriving or um, just existing, right? Flourishing is just a, a wonderful thing to aspire to. You know, what I'll say is I think we're in a moment where a lot of the C-suite is thinking really short term. There has been this um, real focus on budget cuts and hiring freezes and layoffs um, and just tightening the belt completely. And that started in different industries over the course of the last year, but I think in the last six months in particular, I've seen it. And so we are starting to have enough data on the impact of doing those things poorly. And in the sort of CEO convenings that I'm part of and the CEO conversations that I'm part of, there are these whispers of CEOs talking about how they did all the things they were supposed to do. They cut costs, they moved towards profitability, they reduced their workforces. But now they're seeing employee engagement survey results plummet. They're seeing employees quit. They're seeing even worse employees quiet quit, where they're still working and taking that paycheck, um, but they're not contributing as much as they once were. And I think that it's because we've swung too far um, in this direction of profits and productivity, and we've missed out on something that is... Or key contributor to those factors, as I'm hearing in these sort of CEO whisper conversation, which is investing in your people. Um, it is maybe not a short term victory, but it is certainly a medium term and a long term victory. And when I say investing in your people, I don't just mean um, financially, but I mean in their skills and their sense of self and their connection to each other, to the work, to the mission. Um, and we don't need to spend a lot of money solving this. We don't need to spend a lot of time solving this. If we can kind of infuse opportunities for socialization, for connection, for community building into the flow of work and using Gather. And you can do that by having better, more engaging, more social meetings. Then we can actually solve this problem in a way that uh, is aligned with our short-term interests and our medium and long-term interests. And the last thing that I'll say is, you know, right around the corner uh, is going to be the need to continue to attract and retain Gen Z. Um, and this is a generation that has seen a very different set of opportunities for, for them where they can, uh, through kind of side hustles and social media and YouTube, make a ton of money by working a very small amount of time. And the only way that companies are going to be able to attract and retain this next generation is by offering something that they can't get when they're working by themselves. And that is community and that is belonging. And that is connection.
0: I I have so much confidence about our future right now, knowing that you're one of the leaders that is going to really illuminate the path forward and make it happen. And I just really, really appreciate you. I appreciate the time that we spent today. And like I said before, I hope we continue this conversation. And, uh, but once again, thank you so much on behalf of all of our listeners.
1: Thank you.